Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin. Hello, everybody. This is Alice Alvey filling in for Dave Licken today. We do have Dave with us. He's uh, out at the National Secondary Conference for the Mortgage Bankers Association. I think I just caught him walking from a, a meeting out of Fannie Mae over to a Fox News broadcast. So we're going to try and have him join the program a little bit later today before he jumps on the being on the Neil Cavuto program. So we're happy to have Dave working remote with us, and I'll be hosting today and trying to juggle the switchboard and everything else going on. Uh, so to start with, I guess I want to first welcome all of you. This is the broadcast that's created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals. We are the proud recipient of the Progress in Lending Innovation Award. So thank you, Tony Garitano, for that. Um, we appreciate you joining us. Today's hot topic is going to be a roundtable discussion with myself, and, of course, Andy Shell, the profit doctor. Uh, Dave is attending the MBA, as I said, and uh, he'll be planning to dial in here in the not-too-distant future. Uh, we want to thank, of course, our sponsors. Uh, they make this program very possible, as well as all the volunteer time that we get from the folks who participate in the program. Uh, first of all, our first sponsor is ArchMI, the creator of the in new innovative Rate Star. So uh, the Rate Star program that, we, that they have at ArchMI is a great one. You want to check that out. We also have Motivity Solutions with their leading business intelligence technology, providing real-time reporting, dashboard, and scorecards. Also, Velma, which stands for Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistance. They can help you build stronger and more profitable relationships through their Set It and Forget It auto email campaigns. Or you can create custom campaigns on the fly. Check out Velma at uh, Velma.com or call Brent Elmer at 208-854-854. 7909. Brent's a great guy. You want to definitely make sure that you give him a call. And also, we have Simplifile, which allows you to collaborate with settlement agents via real-time chat and messaging. Simplify allows you to track changes, send, receive, and validate documents, as well as obtain status updates and deal with issues as they arise. You do all of this in a real-time back-and-forth electronic communication exchange, and best of all, you have a complete audit trail of all the communications. To learn more, go to Simplifile.com or call them at 1-800-460-5657. And, of course, DNH, moving your world forward through technology. They have been in business for 140 years. They employ 5,500 people worldwide, supporting 8,000 clients in 70 countries. Check out what DNH's Mortgage Bot All-in-One LOS can do for you by going to www.mortgagebot.com. Or call them at 800-815-5592. And, of course, the Mortgage Collaborative, founded by five past presidents of the Mortgage Bankers Association. The Mortgage Collaborative is a co-op that gives its members the opportunity to meet and form meaningful relationships with top mortgage professionals and leaders in our industry. In a relationship-driven business such as ours, often who you know is as, as important as what you know. And we all know that. So to learn more about it, go to 
www.mortgagecollaborative.com or call Rich Swarbinski at 440-552-0691, The Power of the Network. And finally, a special thanks to Joe and Andy for being here, and Sam, of course, for Sam Garcia for contributing to the program. Um, We're all going to be chatting later on in the program and sharing with you our um, thoughts about what is going on. So today is our roundtable discussion format. Here's the upcoming MBA conferences. Let's make sure everybody's aware of that. Of course, the National Secondary Market Conference is going on today as we speak in New York. We have a contingency there from Indicom. Make sure you stop by and say hello to those folks. Uh, They're all out there trying to make sure we can identify clients who can help with what's going on in the secondary market world today. And then, of course, coming up is the MBA Chairman's Conference on June 5th through the 8th. Uh, This is going to be in the Breakers in Palm Beach, Florida. So contact the MBA if you're interested in that as well. Also, Dave's going to be speaking. Um, Actually, he's speaking at the New York MBA Conference um, on June 10th in Albany. And then he's also speaking at the 44th Annual CMBA Western Secondary, July 25th through the 27th at the Western St. Francis Hotel. Uh, So to learn more about the MBA conferences and education, make sure you get signed up for Mortgage Action Alliance. This is a powerful tool. Uh, It's amazingly easy to work with to get your voice out to Congress. Uh, So to learn more, you can Google Mortgage Action Alliance. So without further ado, I think we have to get started here. We've um, all run through the updates, and now what I'd like to do is make sure we can get Joe Farr on the line. So, Joe, hey, good job, program, and I hope I Oh, well, thanks. I'm glad I unmuted you in time. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, a, anyway. that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, well, I haven't had a chance to review all your notes, so uh, give us an update on you know okay. how things are uh, today. Well, today, MBS prices are down. They've been down between four and five thirty seconds most of the most of the day. Uh, uh, an early morning drop, uh, kind of before anyone would have put prices out. So, uh, you know, just a steady steady day after the early drop. Uh, you know, MBS prices have been trending to, uh, you know, pretty much as the stock market has, but in opposite directions. And today, uh, with MBS down, you might guess. The, the stocks are up, and in fact, the Dow's up about 165 points so far today. Uh, and that's kind of following oil, and the price of oil is up uh, due to some disruptions in production in, in Nigeria and, and uh, some slight decline in, in overall demand. So um, the economic data that came out today really had little impact on these prices. Uh, New York Empire Index came in. It was a big miss to the downside, which you would kind of expect that might be good for mortgage rates, but it had no effect. And uh, the home builder sentiment came out. It, it stayed at the same level it's been for the last couple months, which is uh, at 58 is somewhat positive. So it's a, you know not a bad report. Uh, then we'll go to last week. Alice, the uh, for the week there was really very little net change. I think it was like within one thirty second of where it began the week. Uh, there was some daily uh, volatility though, um, and again, MBS prices were kind of moving as the stock market did, but in opposite directions. The economic data was really pretty good last week, and the and the Treasury auctions. Uh, uh, received some strong demand, uh, a little contrary to what you might expect. So the data, jolts came out, 
uh, and it showed job job openings rose to the best level in months, and the quit rate was really quite high as well. So, uh, and that's a sign of confidence. The data contradicts somewhat what was uh, in the non-farm payrolls data from May 6th, uh, but do keep in mind the JOLTS report is measuring activity in March, whereas the uh, non-farm payrolls data was measuring activity uh, in April. Uh, jobless claims, this is kind of interesting, jobless claims last week rose to uh, 294,000 new applications. That's up from 274,000. But there were a couple of, uh, of one-time circumstances that contributed toward that increase, so the increase was not very alarming. One of the more interesting ones I've read about is that spring break in the New York City Independent School District added a good number of claims. Apparently, <laughs> apparently, yeah, can you believe it? Apparently during the spring break, if, if uh, non-teacher employees are allowed to file for unemployment claims if uh, if uh, they're out for the, for a week or two and uh, there oh, was fifteen thousand yeah. huh? okay <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, so there uh, there was like a fifteen thousand increase in the unemployment claims in New York and most of that's attributable to the school district so kind of found that as odd. Uh, last week, retail sales came in. It was a very nice number, really. It, it, it beat to the upside. Overall sales rose 1.3% when nine-tenths was expected, and ex-auto, they rose eight-tenths when five-tenths was expected. So that was good to see. It, uh, it's been a, an issue, and uh, as you might know, many of the retail uh, stocks are getting beat up pretty bad right now, and you know, it's nice to see retail sales uh, increase. Uh, consumer sentiment rose as well, so you know you got uh, people willing to spend. You got happy consumers, so it's got to bode well for the housing market. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, okay, and and then looking at the oh. week ahead or this week, um, we have a lot of pretty important information coming out tomorrow. CPI, the housing starts number, and industrial production. Uh, CPI. Uh, the consensus calls for an increase in inflation, uh, both the overall inflation and the core inflation, uh, but not by a lot. Housing starts are expected to show a nice improvement. And um, on Wednesday, the minutes from the 427 Fed meeting will be released. Uh, that has been a market-moving event in, in weeks past, or in months past. Uh, Thursday, jobless claims are expected to have fallen back to the 275 range because of the anomaly uh, reversing itself. And then uh, existing home sales comes out on Friday. So uh, a busy week. Uh, many of those could be market-moving events. All right, so all the reason they need to have your service and watch what's going on. I know it, in true. some respects, you know, as we listen to and you say, okay, it's been a little stable and uh, so far, it looks like we're trying to predict the future uh, in that it'll, it, we don't see anything hugely volatile, in, at least in this coming week, right? Or uh, could we really see something big happen at the Fed meeting this Wednesday? No, it's not a Fed meeting. It's the minutes of the last I'm, Fed meeting. I'm sorry, and, the minutes. And yes, that's, I'm sorry, the yeah, minutes from the that's, meeting, yeah. That's not that's not as significant as obviously as the first statement that comes out or the press conference that follows some of the meetings. But it surprised me, even though there have been Fed speakers calling for whatever they're calling for and voicing their opinions. It's 
it, it, lately it has been uh, it has contained evidence that causes the market to react. Uh, sometimes not very much, but uh, in other uh, months there there have been significant reactions. So uh, I don't expect it, uh, but you know it's certainly important to pay attention. Sure, with that when they make that word by word comparison, right? Did sure. you say of count or the not, number of words? Right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thanks so much, Joe, and I look forward to having you on the uh, hot topic segment. Uh, in the pre-show, Andy was kind of walking through a, a list of things that we love to talk about, such as IOA, ROI, everything, volatility of volume, secondary market margins, all kinds of fun stuff to look forward to uh, chatting about Good. on the next segment so looked forward to talking with you then all right thanks joe you're welcome looking for that competitive edge mbs quote land delivers live market coverage for originators get up to the minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur get mbs prices as trades happen straight to your computer email cell phone or pda know in advance when your investors will reprice make better lock float decisions and increase your income be the expert your clients expect and know what's moving interest rates right now tomorrow and beyond mbs quote line delivering live market coverage for originators learn more about mbs quote line today at mbsquoteline.com mbsquoteline.com 646-716-4972 the Lickin' on Lending Show is back here is your host David Lickin' Hello, everybody, and welcome back. This is Alice Alby filling in for Dave, who is out at the MBA Secondary Conference, of course. Where else would you expect him to be? Uh, one of the great big conferences, and, of course, Dave is there meeting with Fannie Mae, and, uh, you know, everybody wants him around. So, of course, Neil Cavuto is calling him to be on, on uh, the news as well. So we're going to try and catch Dave and add him into the program in a little bit. But for right now, we have Paul Malo on the line. So, Paul, are you there? Yes, Alice, how you doing? Hey, I'm well, thanks. Glad to have you on the program today. Thank you for taking the time. Are you out at the uh, secondary also? No, no. My uh, my executive editor, John Bancroft, is there, and we have a story on uh, the number two slot in the uh, daily today. Dave Stevens made a speech, uh, so I might as well talk about that one right away. And he's basically calling on the CFPB to develop a new qualified mortgage rule. He's concerned that eventually the so-called GSE patch is going to run out, uh, and he wants, you know, he wants a, a, a QM rule. He's worried about a regime change and things along those lines. Uh, and you know, he wants a rule that isn't dependent on the Federal Housing Finance Agency dictating um, underwriting standards. And he said the clock is ticking. Uh, and you know, that's that's interesting. He's out there, uh, and he points out that Fannie and Freddie are approving a lot of loans that exceed the debt-to-income uh, cap of 43%. Uh, and, again, that goes back to the GSE patch. Um, and that sort of dovetails with our first story. You know, we're finally seeing some, you might say, some credit loosening. Uh, we track at IM, uh, Inside Mortgage Finance and IMF News the Fannie Freddie monthly numbers. Uh, and it looks in the first quarter of this year, uh, just over 21% of purchased mortgages uh, sold to the GSEs had credit scores between 620 and 6, uh, 699. Uh, that was up from just 14.4% in the fourth quarter. So it, it looks like we're seeing finally some loosening in the credit standards uh, of the GSEs, or at least you know the lenders are willing to uh, loosen up credit and not worry so much about uh, getting de- uh, dinged with any delinquent loans or future 
delinquent loans. So that's so that's a positive sign, I guess, if you're a borrower. And there's all sorts of uh, you know efforts out there to try and get lenders to loosen up credit a bit. And it looks like we might finally be seeing that happen. And of course, you know, lenders yeah. like to make loans and they want more volume. So that's one, one way to get it. Of course, is to loosen your standards a little bit. Uh, and then you always run the risk of delinquency, but that's that's just how the game right. is played. So that, yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, you want to you want to make money, you want to make loans, or you just you know want to have pristine credit come in the door and wait for that. So uh, it'll be a trend we continue to watch. Um, also, yeah, another trend: Penny Max out there with a senior debt offering, uh, three hundred million dollars. These are senior notes. Uh, the speculation that they could use the three hundred million to buy some more MSRs. Uh, Penny Mac, I should point out, is a top 10 ranked lender. Um, and they're not quite in the top 10 for servicing, but they may soon. Uh, they're obviously um, you know, one of the uh, faster-growing uh, companies, publicly traded. Uh, and they've held up fairly well with these uh, rate, uh, some of these rate servicing markdowns. So that's an interesting story to watch as well. Uh, there is some speculation, more of these white papers out there, of what to do with Fannie and Freddie. Uh, one white paper that uh, was written by, uh, co-authored by Jim Park, he's with the Mortgage Collaborative, uh, and basically he's talking about you know setting up Fannie and Freddie to be like Ginnie Mae, where they basically don't have a portfolio. Uh, they're calling it like a Ginnie Mae 2.0 platform. Uh, that white paper's out there, so we wrote about that. Uh, we also crunched the numbers through our exclusive survey process. Uh, no secret here, subprime servicing volumes continue to drop. Keep in mind, during the boom back uh, last decade, I think at one point there was something like $1.2 trillion in outstanding subprime uh, mortgages in the U.S. That's A minus to D. That number is now down to just $287 billion. So, uh, And it's going to continue to shrink uh, since our subprime industry is very small. We do have some new subprime, somewhat new subprime firms out there, but their volumes are small. Uh, but they are growing, but, you know, all the big companies are, are disappearing, and their receivables are just, you know, in, you might say they're in runoff mode, so to speak. And right. just real and quick and short take. And you're using the same definition as back then? So the 1.2, the definition used back then is the same one you're, you're still using today for defining, defining subprime, because that has a tendency to morph over time. As we have, a, you know, subprime itself is, we don't know what it, the people today don't know what it used to look like. <laughs> right? Well, that's true. I mean... Yeah, I mean, there's people in the industry who don't, don't know what a subprime loan. Well, last decade it was A minus to D. I mean, yeah. you can argue that the loans being made by Citadel and Deep Haven and Angel Oak, those are three of the more well known or more active. Uh, not what I, you know, we sort of like the word non prime now. Talk to executives yeah. at all those shops and they're like, use the word non prime, please. Yeah. Uh, you know, those loans are more, it's probably A minus to B quality. Uh, you know, and that it's basically loans that aren't can't you can't sell to Fannie, Freddie, or FHA, uh, and they're not jumbo. So that's you know it's yeah the the definition is a little hard to nail down like Jello, uh, but you know that's sort of you know non-agency product that isn't a jumbo. I mean, I, and that's all over the place. But you know, listen, last decade we had A minus to D, and that was a you know an all day even probably got thrown in the subprime category, and that was just a huge uh, you know definition. So. You know, it's you know, that's sort of how it is. I mean, definitions can morph and and be uh, all over the place. So, you know, we try and do the best we can with that. Uh, and then real quickly, short takes, yet another settlement uh, by a bank, a regional M&T bank, uh, late Friday settled uh, with the Department of Justice over, uh, you know, FHE underwriting. 
they they were alleging this and that on quality and you know they didn't pay a huge amount of money but you know just another bank uh, paying up and they're not a huge FHA lender and probably never will be anymore uh, thanks to these settlements we checked in just a real quick note Den- Denali Home Loans are part of a credit union we know Jim Picard there uh, you know we are, we're always interested in how lenders are doing in different parts of the U.S. and you know Jim told us his loan volume was up almost 13 uh, percent in the first quarter and up almost 29% uh, through the first four months of the year. So if um, there's activity up in Alaska in, in mortgage lending, and uh, that's about it for today. All right. Well, good to hear things are going good in Alaska. It's a great place. <laughs> North to Alaska. I think it was an Abbott and Costello movie. I can't remember. Something like that. <laughs> Oh, well, thanks so much uh, for the update, Paul. Everybody needs to go to Inside Mortgage Finance. Uh, It's a great website, really easy to read. I love uh, Paul's contributions and what he finds out on the street for us and overall um, all the great info that you can find out there. So thank you so much for your time, Paul. And uh, we'll look forward to getting another update next week. Okay. Have a good one. All right. Thanks. You too. All right. So next on the docket is usually myself, right? So to... Uh, bring to all of you the legislative update and what we've got going today I think Paul actually picked up on a few of the things now one of the things that um, I had actually picked up on here was just the idea that former the former president of Jenny May uh, there was some discussion about Jenny May looking at pulling away from HUD and moving to the Federal Housing Finance Agency so all of this this is uh, obviously the you know um, not actually happening today, but some of the things in the news that we were watching was, you know, that along with what Paul brought up with uh, what the mortgage, uh, what Dave Stevens had been talking about today. So we do want to make sure that we're keeping an eye out on the shift overall at the agencies that's being looked at. Um, is there time that Jenny May should separate, you know, from HUD, uh, from a, and have, a, you know, they've gone under a lot of changes, and should they look at being, um, you know, kind of, uh, another part of the Federal Housing Finance Agency, and is that a better fit for them as they truly are, um, you know, um, similar to Fannie Freddie in so many ways. Um, there's an $8.5 billion countrywide mortgage bond settlement uh, that got the green light at ending a kind of a legal problem that had stretched all the way back to 2011. So a couple of pieces that are out in the news worth noting. And for my purposes, for the uh, legislative update, we only have a few things that we've been monitoring. There haven't been any changes from last week. So what my goal for today is going to be to make sure we have plenty of time to talk on the hot topic. Um, So I'm going to move into our next couple of uh, bits that are really important. I want to make sure that you hear from uh, Indicom as well as ArchMI and Motivity. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. Yes, and to reach Indicom, you can go to 800-278-0200 or 
mortgage-u.net, and we also have mortgage-u.com. So we've got lots of ways that you can find information uh, from about our company, including all the services that we offer in business process outsourcing um, and education. So next on the list, I've got Sam Garcia of the Mortgage Daily. So Sam, are you here? Want to make sure I'm I've here. got you on the line? All right. I'm here, you. and you're doing a fabulous <laughs> job, Alice. Really impressed. Oh, well, you know, I'm just uh, juggling everything going on here. So <laughs> I'm so glad to have you. I think all Dave should be a little bit nervous. <laughs> He's got talent uh, no, behind him. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think so. So anyway, what's going on today in the Mortgage Daily world? Yeah, uh, our mortgage market index, which is a reflection of uh, per-user rate locks by clients open close, was down 10% last week. Um, and that was kind of surprising, you know, given how rates had been falling. Um, FHA business uh, was down 17%, and refinances were down 11%. So a little bit of a slow wow. week. Um, yeah, it was interesting. So, uh, And, again, those are based on rate locks. So, uh, uh, Okay, uh the Mortgage Bankers Association put out its mortgage finance forecasts for uh, May, and in that particular forecast, they raised their refinance outlook to 633. I'm sorry, 635 billion this year, compared to last month when they were just projecting uh, 585 billion. So, mortgage bankers are a little more optimistic about uh, where refinance, refinances are going this year, and of course. Uh, We've been seeing a lot of this going on as rates have continued to remain low or even go lower uh, recently. Um, the mortgage bankers also – Between refis and purchases. Yeah, and that was just refis. Purchases, they pretty much kept the same. So uh, there wasn't any boost there. But, of course, refinances are far more sensitive to changes in rates, uh, as are uh, MSR. So uh, one side sees the good side of that, and the other side kind of gets hurt. But uh, uh, the, the mortgage bankers also put out their first quarter national delinquency survey, and the seasonally adjusted 30-day rate was 4.77%. They said that was the lowest rate since the third quarter of 2006, clearly pre-recession, pre-crisis uh, uh, level of performance. Um, the the foreclosure inventory rate, which isn't seasonally adjusted, was 1.74%. That turned out to be the lowest since the third quarter of 2007. And they said that a foreclosure start rate was 0.35% better than any time since the second quarter of 2000. So, gosh, what are we talking about there, uh, 16 years or something like that, uh, since the foreclosure start rate has been as low as it was in the first quarter of this year. Um, Quicken Loans, they uh, – I'm sorry, what would you say? I just said great news. Yes. Uh, and, and more good news is Quicken Loans is hiring 770 people uh, that they got openings for. And these are going to be uh, jobs that are located in Cleveland, in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and I don't know if you know, but at Quicken, they already have 15,000 employees, so it's a pretty substantial employer out there already. But they have definitely been uh, growing people-wise and, of course, origination-wise over these last few years. Um, over at Ditech, Ditech uh, filed a war notice uh, in, earlier this month with the Missouri Division of Workforce Development, and the notice indicated that 103 people in the St. Louis area are impacted by the closing of a collections operation. But it turns out that um, Ditech is actually converting that collection operation into an, an origination operation, and it's offering all the impacted employees jobs in the new division, 
Um, and in addition, it's going to hire some more people. So turns out to be a pretty positive story. What initially sounded like it was a little bit of a downer. Um, FHA in a federal register filing, uh, they highlighted some actions against that they've taken against more than 60 FHA mortgagees, mostly in the the last year or so. And the actions include civil money penalties and temporary or permanent loss of FHA approval and uh, stuff like that. So, you know, there was uh, some of the stuff was more administrative. You know, companies didn't necessarily uh, complete the renewal process properly. But uh, some of them were more serious actions, including some of the ones we've reported on previously. Uh, finally, over at Jenny May, which you were just talking about, um, they put out some data that indicated in April their issuance was up 22% from the previous month. And what was really spectacular was jumbo issuance, which soared to $2.3 billion from just $1.4 billion in March. So that was kind of the highlight of that particular report. But uh, those are some of our headlines from this last week. Of course, we've got much more we've covered, but those are some of the more interesting ones. So uh, that pretty much covers uh, what we're talking about today. All right. Well, thanks so much, Sam, for your time and great stuff. So for those of you who want to get a hold of Sam, you can go to Sam Garcia at MortgageDaily.com and make sure you're signing up for their uh, daily publication that you can get delivered to you in your inbox and have all the latest and greatest information every single day. So thanks, Sam. Thank you, and, uh, Appreciate forward it. To have a great day. All right. You too. All right. Thank you. So um, we're going to take a quick jump in here for ArchMI. Hi, David. Thanks for having me on, and we're happy to be a proud sponsor of the program. And today I'd like again to talk about RateStar from Arch Mortgage Insurance. RateStar is a revolutionary tool that allows mortgage originators to dynamically price mortgage insurance and match coverage to ArchMI's most competitive rates. And that's important because it allows you to compete more effectively, qualify more borrowers, and of course close more loans. That's the power of RateStar. Originators from around the country are letting us know just how quick and easy RateStar is to use. And all you need is your NMLS number, and you can access RateStar anywhere, anytime, using multiple points of entry, including most LOS systems, product and pricing engines, and through our websites at archmi.com and archmicu.com for credit unions. And of course, it's available through our mobile app for smartphones and tablets. RateStar makes it easy to choose what type of mortgage insurance coverage your loan needs. You just touch, tap, and go. Quotes are delivered in seconds and represent our most competitive ArchMI rates based on the strength and quality of the loan application. And I have to tell you, David, getting a mortgage insurance quote has never been so powerful or so simple. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you and say thanks. Have a great day, everybody. All right. Thanks, Jim, from ArchMI. All right, now, next on the program, we have Andy Shell, the profit actor. Um, Andy, I'm just so excited that you're on the show today because I know you get very busy and you don't get to be with us all the time. So I'm anxious to hear your words of wisdom today. Well, thanks, Alice. You know, when, when Dave mentioned that he was going to be on Cavuto today and out at the conference and had you standing by, I thought, and, and he wanted to confirm I was going to be available, I said, absolutely. I would never miss the opportunity of being on the show hosted by Alice Alvey. Oh, well, what, a, what an exciting treat. You're doing great, too, by the way. Oh, thank you. And Dave just texted that he's about to go on Cavuto in, imminently, so that'll be exciting. We'll, we'll have to turn our TVs up and listen to what Dave has to say. Well, you know, Alice, a couple quick things. Quick housekeeping points first. Um, 
through the MBA education. We've got webinars coming up. Uh, we're teaching an, a webinar on technology ROI, and that's coming up in June. And then we're uh, it's two session, hour and a half for two sessions. And then in uh, July, we're teaching a webinar again, two sessions, hour and a half each on servicing and subservicing. So this will be an opportunity for people to kind of get their head around what does it mean to have a new system or how do you select the system? And then probably most importantly, how do you deploy a system and get the, the most out of it so it actually does enhance your workflow? And on the servicing webinar, we're going to talk about all things servicing, all of the functions from set up boarding, customer service, escrow analysis, investor reporting, delinquency management, loss mitt, the whole thing, everything around it, uh, along with probably almost most importantly for a lot of folks is subservicer management under the CFPB requirements for third-party management and also under the community bank, commercial bank requirements by the OCC which are actually more expansive than the CFPB's requirements for third-party management. So anyway, going to get into all of those topics. So for today, and I'm, when I'm is excited that, to Andy? talk with you. When are, those, uh, when are those servicing? When is that servicing event that you were just describing? It's a webinar, uh, July, I think it's 15th and uh, 23rd, something like that. It's middle of July. Okay. It's on the mba.org website, click on education and webinars, and um, that's where the, the details are housed. So we're excited about talking about that. I can look it up real quick. Oh, no, it's on the, um, yeah, it's on the, so I don't want to take showtime up for this. I don't have it uh, immediately available. But anyway, that's go okay. to the website. As long as we know we can go it. to their website. Um, okay, yeah. Yes, exactly. So, you know, I think I'll, the rest of what I was going to talk about relates to our hot topic in our roundtable. I'm really interested to hear what you and Joe have to say about some of these topics and how people continue to struggle with secondary marketing transactions, secondary marketing events. Accounting for secondary marketing activity seems to be surprisingly elusive for folks, especially even CPAs who audit mortgage companies. Uh, this last audit season, I was called by a number of CPA firms. Uh, we provide education and training to CPA firms. And so I, got, I was called by several different firms who were auditing mortgage companies, and there was a significant amount of misunderstanding about the unrealized gain in the locked pipeline that mortgage companies have to report and in one case, they were trying to make it too low, and in another case, they were trying to make it too big. So it's, it's really an interesting topic, but probably not one for the show actually today, but uh, that's one of the things that we're seeing around secondary marketing activity is how do you report that hedging stuff? So anyway, Alice, I'll throw it back to you so we can uh, proceed on with the show. Okay. Well, it uh, it is something that we want to make sure we cover during the hot topic. You know, um, especially with the secondary conference going on, that's kind of our 
broad-based coverage for today and making sure that we get a chance to give folks enough detail on what we're seeing in the market. Um, and especially, you know what, Andy, I do think accounting is important. It'll be great to get you and Joe on the line together because he's a CPA also. So we'll go ahead, um, hear the words of wisdom on the Motivity KPI, and then the three of us will be back on the line for the um, Hot Topic segment in our roundtable format covering everything you want to know about mortgage banking. So hang on, folks, and we'll be right back. Thanks very much, Dave. Always great to be here. And this week's key performance indicator focuses on one of Alice's favorite topics, namely the underwriting process. And the KPI is submitted to initial decision. This is generally measured in hours, and you can either use this to measure an entire department's average turn time or even individual underwriters. Very effective if you're using balanced multi-metric scorecards to fine-tune the behaviors of individual staff members. This measurement can also guide an organization to areas upstream from underwriting that contribute to this initial cycle time, like processing, setup, or even sales, to help ensure that people in those areas produce complete and accurate files that make the absolute best use of the underwriter's time. So the broad scope makes this a very powerful metric and shows yet again that what gets measured gets results. And with that, Dave, I will thank you again and turn it back to you. All right. Well, thanks uh, to KPI. I love the KPIs from Motivity. They're great. So the word I missed last time in that bit, so Andy and Joe, hopefully I have you both uh, have both of your microphones turned on. The word I missed last time uh, when I and hearing this again, it brought back to light and I, when we talk about ROI everything, and you have to get granular into how your people are working to actually know how how well are they working? How efficient are they? And he used the word hours. So he says he said measure submitted to initial loan decision in hours. And if you think about that, if I have to submit a loan and it's leaving processing, and then how long does it take my underwriter to make a decision? I'll bet you a lot of companies are just working with days and they're not necessarily working with hours. Uh, so that just struck me that um, in terms of trying to, how do you measure all these things? So, um, Andy, I'm going to have you jump in here as we talk about kind of what are some of the other key metrics that maybe people don't think about that you, with a service either like Motivity or maybe something you can program within your LOS, what are some of the detail and granular KPIs that you think some people just don't think about at the level of detail that they should? Well, thanks, Jalice, and you make a great point about that last motivity KPI in measuring hours. Uh, we're actually working with, with some companies who are taking it down to minutes, and we're measuring uh, how long does it take to produce a CD. And we're working with one company in particular who's doing a great job at enhancing their operational flow going from 40 minutes to produce a CD down to about 20 and even possibly on down to 15 minutes to produce a CD, uh, closing disclosure. And when you start trying to measure things, then you can, you can manage things and you can understand what it is that, that's causing it to take so long. And so um, I'm rabbit trailing just a tiny bit, Alice, but I wanted to go a little deeper into how you – get to the, the nuts and bolts of the KPIs. And, and so in, in this particular case, um, we sat down with the staff and actually worked with them through their workflow, experienced what they experienced, sat with them and watched them click the screen on the LOS, sat with them and looked at the 
the file stacking order that was coming out of uh, processing. And what we learned is that there's a number of system enhancements that can make things run more smoothly because they're using Excel to support the process and some of the data is not populating correctly so they have to re-enter it. And you know, probably half of the time savings came from, from a third-party review, probably fairly straightforward, easy to identify things. And if, if either you or you, Alice or Joe, were sitting there watching these people work, you would have come up with the same conclusion we did. It was just a matter of getting that, that new perspective, because both of you guys know this very well. When you're deep, deep, deep in the weeds, it's sometimes hard to look up and see where you're going. You just get so so uh, myopic in what you're doing right then because the phone's ringing and the next file's there and the loan officers are yelling because the funding's got to get done and you don't have a time to just step back. How can we make this better? So I think I think part of the effectiveness of key performance indicators, which kind of drives to the whole ROI thing, is being able to take that step back and look at the process and come up with some ways to make things that are more smooth. Well, and I think we have a lot. And I talked to a customer the other day who was sure that they were as efficient as they could be. But I think when you, like you mentioned, changing the CD preparedness time from 40 minutes to 20 minutes, that's cutting time in half. And and if everybody looked at, what if I could cut every process at each step, right? If I could do that at origination, processing, maybe even loan setup, disclosure desk, underwriting, closing, and, and many companies, the larger you get, you have kind of a two-stop closing process now. And if I could save 20 minutes in every single one of those positions, I've now found my almost, you know, many hours, which can sometimes mean now I'm a day earlier as opposed to a day late on being able to issue a CD and, and meet other KPIs. Or if I found that just in in, in each process uh, or several processes for each one of those positions. It's it's a huge amount of time. And I, I agree with you. There are people who don't realize I'm just clicking. I, I understand my clicks now, and I can get those done in this amount of time, and don't I can't look up because otherwise I won't be able to keep clicking. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. I don't have time to look up, just like you said, how to step back. Um, so operationally, um, anything else? So that was a great one, just kind of the – um, the time to produce a CD. What are some of the other places that you've seen people have found that kind of time uh, to improve time in the process? Well, if you start back at the very beginning and, and look all the way through from the initial application process, uh, some folks are, are uh, going to the, the, the uh, procedure of having the customer actually fill out an online application instead of the originator taking time to sit there and do that with them. Uh, you know, I, I personally think that the, the hands-on a touch is, is nice, but it, it actually saves time, though, when the originator, instead of entering all the 1003 data, is actually just discussing products after the 1003 data has already been uh, pre-filled by the customer before they even came in or got on the phone. And, and so, you know, my, my, I'm old, you know, as, you know as, we, as we know, and so my paradigm of what the origination experience is like that I like is different and so these millennials just as soon not talk to anybody they'd rather text the originator hey what's my status they'd rather just <laughs> right. do it online and so right so just do that so make it so that they can take 
the application online and had a and Encompass does a great job at that. I'm not pitching Encompass over, you know, any of the other uh, systems per se, but uh, Encompass has a good online system that you just fill it in, drop it in, it comes in. The 1003 is pre-populated, and then you get down to the nuts and bolts of ability to repay. You know, what's the best product? What can you really afford? Joe, what's the latest yeah. thing that you're hearing from your customers today on efficiency? Well, you know, it goes right along with this because um, most people talk about profit margins being too thin, right? And there are two sides to that. One side you can't do much about. I mean, we're in an environment where, um, you know, the products are generic, so you're you're really not selling something that you can price above the next guy, very competitive pricing. So you have to try to try to increase your margins by being better on the other side on these efficiencies and so you know anything you can do to to pick up time in one place or another using the kpis uh that's going to be how you can make make the money you need to make in order to to justify the risk you take in the in in manufacturing that loan uh because it's going to be very difficult to get it on the other side well, and that's that's really because we we have to look at all the parts, right? So we've got the component we can pick up in the process itself, and then of course the component your service picks up, which is you know trying to even just leverage the day-to-day movement in the market. So do you all talk about that with your clients? You know how much they can maybe pick up in improving that profit margin through the use of your product. Well, certainly there are lots of people. You know, it, it's best suited if you're in a, in an environment where you're uh, subject to investor midday price changes and, and having the knowledge of what's going on with the market in, uh, in in a situation where you are subject to midday price changes certainly gives you an advantage. And I've had uh, one particular customer tell me that. He improved profit margins in his department so much that the board called him in to ask him why. You know, what's going on here? What what are you doing? And oh. he simply said he simply said, I've got knowledge and the knowledge helps me to improve margins by not taking risk but by uh being smart about when you lock loans. So and then so you've got that component of the secondary and then Andy then there's the hedging side of it as well. Well, yeah, and, and people uh, people have so many different perspectives on what does hedging mean. Like, for example, just entering into a best efforts delivery commitment is hedging. If, if you take the perspective that hedging is, is protecting me from interest rate movement on my off-balance sheet financing facility. So a, a lock commitment that we issue to a customer has market risk. So if, if we were to issue a lock commitment to a customer and then not do anything else, and rates moved up or down, we have gains or losses when we close that loan. So we want to, we want to not, we want to, we want to preserve our margin. The role of secondary marketing is to preserve the embedded pricing margin, and we do that by entering into a best efforts delivery commitment. So that's that's a hedge. It's a it's a value protecting strategy, and then from there we get into shorting TBA MBS, and then pairing out and delivering into a mandatory, or then we do ultimately AOTs or co-issue or actually uh, deliver into securities, actually deliver the loans into the security. And and each of those have different levels of complexity involving custodians, involving price pickups, and the the best execution 
uh, kind of moves around a bit because even today delivering to the Fannie Cash window can be better than MBS. So it, it gets you, – you know, you really need to have a, a, a very sophisticated organization to really take advantage of this the, – the best you can do in secondary marketing. You've got to have a good hedge, hedge advisor, and you've got to have a great secondary marketing best execution strategy that really identifies what's the best choice released, retained, cash window, MBS, delivery versus payment, AOT, flow. I mean, all of these things come into play, but you have to have those alternatives available. If all you have is best efforts, then that's all you're going to get, and you're probably going to be leaving 30 to 60 basis points on the table every time you do that. But to get to the next step, to be able to do a short TBA, you've got to have a broker-dealer relationship, which means you've got to have you know, $5, $8 million in capital, depending. So there's lots of pieces to this. So that's that, that's kind of a drinking from the fire hose overview of secondary <laughs> marketing activity, you know. And and I didn't even get into the accounting side of this. So I could keep yeah, going, but Alice, but I, I don't want to. Yeah, oh, well, it's all great. I mean, but along just the lines of kind of preserving the margin, right? So I know there's the whole accounting side, but if you'd say, all right, there's a lot to know in this space, and everything that you just said are things that people go, well, maybe I have a few people on staff that are managing it now. How do I know they're doing the best job for me? I mean, is it is it something that if I'm someone's doing internally, they should have it looked at either annually, semi-annually, to make sure that their team is operating well? Um, you know, is it worth having a consultant come in regularly? You talk about a hedge advisor. To me, that's a different role than actually having a consultant come in and, and just take a look at how am I doing? Am I really maximizing my margin in this area? Yeah, exactly. Well, like, for example, the commercial banks, all regulated OCC, FDIC commercial banks, have to have a risk model assessment. It's called a hedge model assessment of their third-party hedge advisor, and that's one of the things that MBS does that we do. We come in and we, we, we review the data from the system, run a position report, and compare it to the hedge advisor's report to see that it's in alignment. And every commercial bank that does hedging has to do that. It's not an option. And, and someday it may be a requirement for mortgage banks to do that as well. But right, I think it's, a, it's a great yeah. way of benchmarking, are you doing it right? And, you know, the thing about secondary marketing is that it's so much – if, if, if you talk to a secondary marketing person and they start talking about, you know, implied servicing multiple curves and negative convexity, and, you know, I like to say, oh, really? Well, let's talk about negative convexity. What do you think the driving factors of that are? And then, then it's just silence because they don't have a clue. They don't understand the prepayment risk, the extension risk, the prepayment put, how the prepayment put pulls the value down toward par on, a, on an appreciating environment. So, you know, you let them talk to Joe for 10 minutes, and you'll know if somebody knows what they're talking about or if they're disparaging buzzwords from secondary marketing. And the challenge is the president doesn't know, and so they're trusting their secondary guy or girl, woman, person, whatever, genderless guy knows what they're doing. But how do they know unless they talk to somebody who actually does know? So, like I said, probably kind of like a, kind of like a good DE underwriter. You know, Alice, you'll know in 10 minutes if they're good. And like a good secondary person, talk to Joe. 10 minutes, you'll know if they're good or not. Joe, does anybody ever ask you to do this? Hey, talk to my secondary guy for 10 minutes. I want to hear your take. Andy gives me more credit than I'm due. But, uh, uh, it, yeah, one of the 
uh, one of the things Andy said early on, especially in an environment where you're edging your uh, pipeline and, and trying to determine pull through and matching uh, uh, forwards with the deliveries and all that that goes along with that, uh, a, a very good measure there is uh, am I breaking even? I mean, too many too many people, you know, am I breaking even meeting, am I meeting my margin? If If we as a company have decided that uh, we need a margin of whatever, you know, uh, at 50 basis points net profit or whatever the, whatever the margin is. Uh, are you delivering that? If you get to the point where, hey, I've, I brought in 100 basis points this month, that's concerning. Hey, I brought in 50, uh, 25 basis points this month, that's concerning. So, uh, exactly. you know, measure the performance there based on the expected margins and see what actually occurred. Exactly, Joe. You said it perfectly. And even well, try it back to so, cash, too. Well, yeah, and then being on the high side is just as scary as being on the low side, it sounds like, because the what <laughs> happens that one, <laughs> right? <laughs> Could you get used to that? Or uh, then maybe I'm not as sensitive to caring about my low side months when I should be. Talk, uh, well, you've so prob- should you've be- probably taken... <laughs> You've probably taken risks that you didn't mean to take if you if yeah. you perform better. Well, and I'll have I'll have people business owners come up to me and say, "Oh man, my secondary marketing is awesome. They they actually made money. They made money on the hedge this time. We got a, we got we got money on our pair offs." And I look at them and go, "You know, that's like you're leaving off half the equation. If you made money in your hedge, then your loan sales should have been less." And are you really capturing all the pieces? Because you can't just look at half the equation. You've got to understand. And also people will complain about, man, we have this huge pair-off cost. Well, so that means you've got a bigger loan sale gain. Because loan sale gain and pair-off loss go together. And lower loan sale gain and pair-off profit go together. It's always you have to look at them together. And that's where people miss the boat. They don't think about it, the formula that's applied here. It's both. And then they get struggled with they struggle with how to do that because well it's loan level versus you know the the hedge is all a pool and you can't really identify it back to the loan. Well, yeah, you, you kind of can because you know what your margin was supposed to be because you you have locks on every single loan. You know what your expected margin on every single loan is, and over enough time, like a 30-day, 60-day, 45 or 90-day rolling period, it'll convert to cash. If you don't actually collect cash based on your margin over time, then something's wrong with your secondary marketing department. That's a great way to finish up on that. So we could spend an entire show on that, but we have a little bit of time left, so I want to kind of switch gears here on something you mentioned earlier, Andy, uh, talking about this effective uh, technology deployment and um, how to select a technology provider. Can you give us a little bit of a... um, heads up on, on what you guys are working on and what will be in that seminar, so how to select a technology provider. It is very complicated. People spend a lot of time. Um, I was talking to a customer not too long ago who had narrowed their list down for for their LOS. They'd narrowed it down to a few, and a couple of the names were just on the list just because 
this was the most popular player in the market. And in the end, it really was nowhere near a fit for them for the things that they needed. But somehow they made it to the finalist for all the wrong reasons. So uh, tell us a little <laughs> bit about kind of what you cover there. <laughs> you know, uh, well, is it course. going to be that detailed where people will know what, you know, walk away going, okay, I have some better information now on finding an LOS provider? Yes, yes, they will actually. And, you know, the, the pool of LOS rooms, you know, LMA, open, close, by PC lender, lending QB, on and on. There's probably like 17 of them. And then you narrow them down to the nine most popular. But, but people oftentimes are sold. They're sold technology as opposed to uh, evaluating technology and finding the fit that's right for them. And they, they're sold technology because a lot of times salesmen love to be sold, and a lot of times the presidents of mortgage company are salespeople, and the IT guy comes in and you know shows them all the bells and whistles of this one demo environment where everything works perfectly, and, and without even understanding that it took 300 hours of configuration to get there. And so we take people back to the beginning. What do you need? What are the user requirements? And people roll their eyes. We say user requirements, and they go, what does that even mean? And it's, well, what, do you, what is important to your organization? Do you want each originator to have their own website? Do you want to have online application? Do you want to have integration with your KPI provider? Do you want to have integration with, I mean, there's just so many things. There's probably 500 different things to check to get to user requirements. But you start there. What do you need? And then you apply which service provider most closely meets your needs. Because what ends up happening is you have the tail wag the dog. The IT environment, the system that you buy, dictates your workflow. Or it could be so customizable that you can have a, your workflow be anything you want, but it takes, it takes months or years to get the system configured and takes the dedication of full-time resources to make the system work right for you to be able to do your job as you expect. So there's this trade-off between customizability and um, flexibility. So some systems come out of the box that are already kind of pre-designed to work for mortgage companies, and so that way they really are kind of plug-and-play with a little bit of customization. Others are very customizable, but it takes a lot of time to customize them. It takes a lot of – you have to have dedicated people assigned to make the system work. So which is it? Which works best for you? Do you have that kind of resource? So how much is it going to cost to get it to work right? How long does it take to get it to work right? How much resource does it take to get it to work right? And once it does work right, how much better off are you than you are today? And that's some of the things that we're going to help people really go down to the check the box. How do you test? How do you know? How do you answer these questions in a way that's legitimate, that's meaningful, that really does get you what you thought you were going to get when you said yes to the IT salesperson. Hey, Andy. Well, yeah. The, oh, go ahead, Joey. I was going to ask you to jump uh, in here. Well, I wanted uh, I wanted to ask Andy and his experience. Uh, that was always a dilemma for me, and I always wanted to uh, go the route of having something that is functional to begin with, and then tweak it. But uh, do you find that that the effort to to take something that's very customizable it takes more effort. Do you wind up with something that is more efficient for your organization and therefore pays for itself in the long run? Well, that's a that's a loaded question, Joe. 
Um, <laughs> and, and I think the honest answer in my experience is that not usually. The yeah. out-of-the-box, the less expensive out-of-the-box systems have a better ROI over time, oftentimes than the very customizable systems, simply because it, whatever you think it's going to cost, double it. Whatever, however long you think it's going to take, triple it, and you'll be close to what it really is. And then that then means that your recovery time is extended because the more you spend, the longer the benefits of the system have to be in play to generate uh, positive impact. And then you have there's so much dynamics in the environment that you want to change something or add something, and now all of a sudden you got to customize, recustomize, redesign, reconfigure. So I'm I'm sharing my bias, and it doesn't mean that it's right for everybody. Um, I'm kind of more of a let's 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 put some rubber to the road quickly, and um, I've, we've been called in to work with folks who've been working on system deployments for a year and a half, whether it's LOSs or accounting systems, they 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 can't get them installed, or they get them installed poorly, or they don't understand all the dynamics, or they they push the button to start and it runs for a minute and dies, or it gets bad information yeah. in and out, or the you know there's so many pieces. To this and one of the most important things about a system is having data integrity and data integrity starts with the users being thorough and accurate when they put the information in to begin with having the processor put in the real estate number the real estate agents uh, number number when they start processing the file or or identifying the title company service provider ID I mean just some the things that we see are actually not often system deficiencies, they're user deficiencies. That's why we go back to user requirements. If you go back to user requirements and ask an underwriter what they want, and they'll say, I just want, I just want the files to come in and be complete. I want to not have right. to hunt around <laughs> five different places to find the information. And every any system with an e-folder stacking has, you know, it really comes back to user training and user proficiency in using the existing system. So I don't know, I'm, I'm, Alice, I heard you, and I'm not sure you've experienced this. Well, we have. I mean, we see it from obviously companies we've gone in and seen how they're using their LOS before and after. And you described it perfectly that uh, very often it does boil down to the user. And I'm the same as you are with the out of the box. It really does get the better ROI. So all of our software as a service technology is something that um, I work with every day. We have five programs ranging from an LMS to a publication portal. We have our Kaizen software that does all kinds of audit and workflow management throughout the process that works in conjunction with the LOS. Um, we have our income analyzer product, and then we also have a product for the e-recording for the title insurance uh, industry and uh, agents. So in all of that, we're, we're, we take that approach of we want the client to have an easy out-of-box with the right amount of customization so that you can hit the ground running, but you have an easier curve for your team. Because if you say, well, my users are used to this, and you want to throw their process completely out the window, then that's a lot of hand-holding. So in each of our systems, that's a, the, the user experience. Um, and from what we know in the mortgage industry and what we see with our clients and all the experience we have with hundreds of customers is we we make sure that's a part of that because there is a huge difference in ROI if it's 
overly customized. Uh, you know, now some of the clients are huge, and that's their only option. You know, they choose. They know they're in for that. You know, you want to deal with the mega banks of of, of the country. You're, they're expecting that because they know they've got their own proprietary way of doing things. But for the average right. lender, you really want something to work out of the box. So, well, we, we've exactly. close to run out of time, but Joe, I want to make sure you get a chance to jump in here on that topic as well. Uh, well, I, I agree. Uh, it, it just was, you know, when you have a totally uh, empty canvas, it's it's harder to get that thing, get it started and going than if you at least have an outline. Yeah, well, that's a <laughs> right. good way to put it. Right. <laughs> some people want an empty canvas, right, and they think that's a good right. place to start. We're like, no, we've got some good ideas here for you. So, um, all right, any last words of wisdom, uh, Joe, before we say goodbye to everybody today? Well, I'll check on the market real quick. We're we're down five. So, again, a very quiet day since uh, early this morning. All right. Well, all the secondary folks are out at the conference, happy their things That's aren't right. happening while they're away. <laughs> so, Andy, last words of wisdom for our uh, group before we go? <laughs> well, thanks, Alice. Um, well, quick, check the dashboard. Is Dave dialed in? He, he just texted me. I am me looking. Saying, oh, did he? I still don't see him uh, in the okay, dashboard. Maybe not. Well, let me, let me just double check on the, his phone number. Um, 632. Oh, wait, there he is. I do see him. All right, does he want to jump back in? Oh, he's been on hold. Hey, Dave, yeah. I just saw your number. I was <laughs> looking for it. I've been enjoying my own program. You were on hold for 15 whole minutes. Hey, we were gabbing away. Well, we've got the recording going longer today, so you're welcome to jump in here. Well, it, we're, you're wrapping it up. It's fun to listen to the discussion. You know, it's really a joy to be able to listen to your own radio program dialed in. I'm out on the street. We're walking to another meeting. So I have to just cut it real short. Just did you give an update on the on the comments that I gave you already about the industry? How well with the conference? What's happening? I did not get it. That was my next thing. So go ahead and throw that in. I did not well, say let's, that yet. Let's, go for it. So here's what real quickly that we we started off the conference with David Stevens talking uh, about what's going on in the industry. It's really a focusing as we get into the election about what's happening with a lack of leadership. Now the MBA is doing a great job. And uh, we're getting more attention where a number of us, I'll be in a meeting with David Stevens and Bill Emerson this afternoon talking about some of the things that are needed. But everyone that's listening to this podcast, what I encourage you to look at is what can you do with your local representative to make sure we get policy talked about? Because of this upcoming election is what they were talking about this morning. We have got our housing policy really up there. And it's the unknown that Trump's case, we don't know what his policy is. With Hillary, you know what it is. She's going to be doing more entitlement. She's increasing regulation and increasing the programs. So is that good for housing? If you're in that camp, you vote for Hillary. If you're in the camp of what I don't know could happen, but I sure don't want that, then you're probably defaulting over to Trump. So you need to get out and contact your local people that are working on this. And what a most important thing that you also realize is that – you can make a difference. That's what they're trying to stress here. The two other points that are really interesting is the amount of warehouse capital. Sorry, I'm on the street out here on the Amer- Avenue of Americas in front of Fox Studios where I just did the broadcast, so I apologize for the background noise. But the reality is, is that there's an abundance of warehouse capital, also abundance of new entrants of it, these smaller correspondent lenders here, a lot of proliferation in that space. And then really the other thing that's going on, I sat down with uh, Beth Pilstein of Fannie Mae today, 
at a great meeting. Fannie Mae is really stepping up to meet and wanting to talk to customers. It used to be that you have to make applications. Who knows if you'd ever get an appointment? That has changed dramatically at Fannie Mae. We had some great appointments here already with them earlier. If you're thinking about getting approved with the agencies right now, do not assume that Fannie Mae is not interested in talking to you. We just had a couple of meetings, and they were outstanding. So that's a couple of takeaways from the conference. We'll be talking more about that next week on the podcast. So thanks for letting me join in, Alice. Really appreciate that. Thanks, for Andy, for <laughs> you guys looking. I, that. I, was, I was dialed in the last 45 minutes listening to it, and I go, that's good. That's a good point, Andy. Good point, Joe. Good. That's fun. Oh, so yeah. Well, I kept watching the dashboard and didn't see it there. So my apologies. I did see it at the uh, end no there. Problem. So I'm glad we got you in. And um, thank you so much. Enjoy the conference. Will do. See, talk to everyone next week. Thanks, Alice, for hosting. Well, in my absence, really appreciate it. And also, thank you to Joe and Alice. Uh, Joe and Andy. Thanks. All right. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. And uh, have a great week, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Thanks. This has been Lincoln on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening.